Happening now, breaking news. A huge legal and financial blow to Donald Trump. A jury says he should pay more than $83 million in damages to writer E. Jean Carroll for defamatory statements he made about her. We're breaking down the verdict and the message it sends to the former president and the clear frontrunner for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Welcome to our viewers here in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer. You're in the Situation Room. This is CNN Breaking News. Let's get right to the major breaking news we're following right now. The bombshell verdict in the defamation trial against Donald Trump. The former president now on the hook for a stunning $83.3 million. Let's go to CNN's Kara Scannell. She's outside the courthouse in New York where all of this unfolded. Kara, walk us through this verdict. Yeah, well, it was just about three hours of deliberations when the jury said that they had reached a verdict in this case. And it's a significant win for E. Jean Carroll. They're awarding her $83.3 million. And here is how it breaks down. The question of compensatory damages, of how much emotional harm did E. Jean Carroll face and what should she be paid for that, they awarded her $7.3 million. They said it, they were giving her $11 million to repair her reputation and punitive damages. That is the punishment factor to Donald Trump. That was the biggest number. They said they awarded E. Jean Carroll $65 million for punitive damages. And this is Carroll's argument during this whole trial that the only way to stop Donald Trump from continuing to repeat the defamatory statements was to hit him in the pocketbook. And that is what the jury did here. Uh, Trump's attorney in their closing arguments today were arguing that Trump shouldn't be held accountable for mean tweets that Eugene Carroll received. The jury clearly not buying that side of the argument and instead finding in Carroll's favor, hitting the former president in the pocketbook and awarding her this significant uh, award of $83.3 million, Wolf. Kara, tell us about the reaction that's coming into this huge decision. Yeah, so in the courtroom when the verdict was read, E. Jean Carroll was sitting between two of her attorneys holding their hands. After that big number came out, they, the three of them embraced and, and she walked out of there with her attorneys with their faces just beaming, smiles from ear to ear. Now Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, come, came out and spoke to the cameras because Donald Trump had left the courtroom. He left at 4 p.m. So he did not stay for when the verdict was read. Instead, his attorney leaving the courthouse saying that they were going to appeal. She also talked about this common refrain that they believe that these cases are all a witch hunt. Take a listen. So many Americans are so proud that he is running again and so excited to run to the ballot box, but don't get it twisted. We are seeing a violation of our justice system. This is wrong, but we are in the state of New York. We are in a New York jury, and that is why we are seeing these witch hunts, these hoaxes, as he calls them. Now, this isn't final until the judge actually issues a judgment. He said today on the bench he would do that over the next few days. But as of now, significant win for E. Jean Carroll, the jury awarding her $83.3 million. That is on top of the award she received last year when a jury in another case awarded her $5 million. Wolf. Kara Scannell in New York for us. Uh, don't go too far away. We'll get back to you very soon. I know you're getting more information. Right now, I want to go to CNN's Kristen Holmes. Uh, she's covering Donald Trump's reaction to this huge verdict. Kristen, what is Trump saying?
Yeah, well, it's no surprise he's already making this political. As Kara said, he wasn't in the courtroom when the verdict was read. He was actually sitting on the tarmac in his airplane at LaGuardia Airport, and he blasted off this on social media. He said, this is absolutely ridiculous. I fully disagree with both verdicts and will be appealing this whole Biden-directed witch hunt focused on me and the Republican Party. Our legal system is out of control and being used as a political weapon. They have taken away all First Amendment rights. This is not America. Of course, I need to say there's no indication at all that this is related to Joe Biden. This is a civil defamation case in New York, but notably missing from there, any attacks on E. Jean Carroll. Obviously, he has about 83 million reasons not to attack her. They are going to appeal this. The other thing to point out here, this kind of linking that he is doing of all of his legal cases to Biden and to uh, election interference is working with a lot of his supporters. They don't see the difference in all of this. Now, he is going to be at a political rally in Nevada tomorrow. So we will wait to see what he says there. But this is really his initial reaction to this. And I am told by sources that he is very angry about this verdict. Sure he is. Uh, Kristen Holmes, thank you very much. There's certainly a lot to discuss with our legal and political experts. Caitlin Collins, let me start with you. I know you've covered Trump for years. What are you hearing from your sources about Trump's mindset and his strategy from here? Well, I think he's in a difficult situation, Wolf, in the sense that, you know, not only because of the $83 million that he was just ordered to pay by a jury to E. Jean Carroll, but also because typically what his response is and his reaction just initially in something like this is to go on the attack. That is what he's been doing to E. Jean Carroll. That is what brought them to the courtroom that they were in today as that verdict was read. His attorneys, at least I should know, given Kristen just noted he was on the plane, and He's kind of not left with that option here because the reason he is being ordered to pay over $83 million is not for what he was found liable for by a previous jury, which is sexually abusing her, but it is simply for defaming her and for the comments that he made about her. And so it does kind of get in the way of what his initial response is, which is to attack, attack, attack. And he did not mention E. Jean Carroll by name in that statement. He had been attacking her on social media <clears throat> relentlessly throughout the week and the judge here as well. And so I think that's a big question here. And I think the other part of this, when I saw that $83 million number, which is way above what E. Jean Carroll's attorney had been asking for, but she was asking the jury to, to send a message with it, is Trump is not someone who likes to part ways with his money. He does not do so easily. You can ask anyone who's ever worked for him, certainly attorneys who have ever worked for him. And so I think the number is particularly damaging to him because, you know, one, he doesn't like to pay anyone anything, but certainly not E. Jean Carroll in this situation. So I think it raises a lot of questions about what this appeal process is going to look like. But the number itself is just incredibly damaging to him. Incredibly damaging indeed. Laura Coates, just how significant is this $83 million verdict after E. Jean Carroll's lawyers asked the jury to send a strong message to Trump? Message sent, and here it is. Next time, impulse control. When it comes to a finding that someone has already found that you've committed sexual assault, there was an opportunity for him last year to actually do the defense that he attempted to raise in this particular phase of the trial. Caitlin's exactly right. This was not a moment for him to go back and try to relitigate the issues of whether, in fact, he had committed that assault. That is already in the rearview mirror because a jury found that he had, and the opportunity that he had to appear and come to his defense and raise all those arguments is now long gone. This was the penalty phase. And the message being sent from the $5 million order just last year to now over eight 
$80 million compensatory and, of course, punitive damages, sends a very clear message that he was aware of the comments that he was making. He was aware of the fact that this was, they believe, um, done so with malice or this was done in a way that he was aware should not have been done and chose to do it anyway. And so when you look at whether to review a jury's decision on how much money to award, you'll look to primarily to figure out how exponentially higher is the award for, say, the punitive versus compensatory? Do they match up in some way? Are they so far apart as to be a message that says this has nothing to do with the underlying conduct any longer and instead simply a public um, you know, litmus test in some way or shape or form? This is not that far apart. And so now his appeal, Wolf, will really focus on whether there was a issue of a ruling from the judge not about the facts in this case, and certainly not about whether he wants to relitigate the issue of an earlier jury finding. Yeah, very significant. Uh, Karen Friedman Agnifilo is with us as well. Karen, what do you make of this decision? I think they wanted to send a very strong message to Trump that he has to stop. And I think on appeal, there's a very strong record that he wouldn't stop but for the this amount of money or some something like it, because uh, it was I think it was the first day of the openings where uh, Eugene's lawyers commented that today alone he repeated these def defamatory statements 22 times on social media during the trial. They also brought out evidence where he said, I have said it, I'm going to keep saying it, I'm going to say it a thousand times. And so all of that was before the jury and they saw and watched him stand up and walk <clears throat> out of the courtroom and do, do whatever he wanted to do as if the law doesn't apply to him. And so I think it was very clear that they are sending a message that it's going to cost you. You have to stop because this did not, they didn't have significant or these types of punitive damages in the first trial, if you recall. This really reflects that after that verdict and after the first E. Jean Carroll verdict where the, the damage award was around $5 million, he repeated over and over and over again the defamation. And I think the jury looked at that and saw that and punished him for that and sending a message that you have to stop or it's going to cost a lot of money. I'm going to go back to Kara. She's outside uh, the courthouse in New York. You've been covering this from the very beginning, Kara. What can you tell us about how the jury actually arrived at this decision? Well, Wolf, I mean, they deliberated for just about three hours, and we were getting toward the end of the day. The judge had told them that if they didn't reach a verdict by 4.30, we would all return on Monday. And it was just before 4.30 that we learned that there was a verdict here. Now, much of what the jury does is in secrecy. It's behind closed doors, but they never sent a note. They didn't ask for any testimony or any additional evidence. So whatever they were working on behind the scenes, they came to this decision unanimously and together. And this is a jury of seven men and two women. A unanimous verdict was interesting in the previous trial, which involved the allegation of sexual assault and defamation for statements made in 2022. That was a jury of six men and three women. So a similar split and a significant award here for E. Jean Carroll. You know, throughout the trial, I did see some of the jurors taking notes. Uh, they were very observant to the witness testimony and watching the proceedings, fairly engaged. We did have a break in this trial because some jurors had become ill. So there was a break in testimony of about a week. Uh, so it wasn't a, a short, cohesive case, but obviously they were engaged. They followed the arguments, they followed the evidence, and they followed the judge instructions when they came to this decision. Well, they certainly did. Uh, let me go back to Caitlin. Caitlin, throughout this entire case, 
Trump's been repeating a lot of the defamatory statements about E. Jean Carroll that got him here in the first place. But his reaction today uh, on his Truth Social site notably did not attack E. Jean Carroll specifically. What does that say to you? It says that he and his attorneys heard what, what her attorney argued in the closing argument, which was essentially sending a message that if he continues to do this, they're going to sue him every time. They're going to go after him every time, which is what happened here. Now, Wolf it has not stopped him in the past because, remember, at the town hall with CNN back in May, Trump went after E. Jean Carroll and attacked her at length. That was the day after the jury had found him liable for sexual abuse, and he did not stop then. I think what has changed here now is there is a price to those statements that he has been making, as you noted, many times on social media, in person, outside the courthouse, as her attorneys played in the closing arguments. So I think that's the question here of whether or not it stops him, and if it doesn't, uh, what the next step is by Eugene Carroll's attorneys. I just think that is so notable here. Um, that we've never seen Trump held accountable in this way for statements that he's made and actually, you know, not just being held accountable, but with a dollar figure attached to it. Yeah, $83.3 million, million. Laura, what do you think about that? Is Trump becoming more aware of his possible legal exposure from repeating his specific attacks on E. Jean Carroll? I don't know how this could not make him keenly aware of that. And I just want to remind people there is a difference between being able to defend oneself against an accusation in a court of law and one being defamatory in their behavior. This is a line that he's going to try to blur for the American public to suggest that he can't say that he's innocent, that professing one's innocence means that you are making defamatory statements. We know that's not true in a nation where we believe in the presumption of innocence, but you cannot, according to the elements of how you prove defamation, you can't publish, meaning speak or write a statement that is open to the public in some way, shape or form, that is false in nature, and that damages or lessens the reputation of somebody in the eyes of their community. Those are the standards by which you judge whether somebody has committed defamation. If it's a public figure and you did it with malice, they say, meaning you intended for people to believe the falsehood that you are now publishing, this is very distinct from saying, I'm innocent, right? I'm, I'm, I have not done the crime for which I have been accused of. I'm going to have my day in court. It's not a matter of semantics, though, either. And he's learning now that there were clear guardrails established for him by the judge's orders from the first trial and beyond of what he could and could not say. Remember, yesterday when he took the stand, he spoke for a shorter amount of time than it took to decide what the guardrails and reminders would be. And so I would encourage people to watch for that as you're going through and hearing his different comments from here on out to see whether or not he is in fact aware of those constraints, not just being able to say and profess one's innocence, but going beyond that to defame and harm someone's reputation, which is exactly where the closing arguments and the course of this trial really were. Very important uh, analysis indeed. Everyone stand by. We have a lot more to assess. Uh, this is a huge, huge story. We're getting more reaction to the verdict against Trump and whether it may have any impact on his presidential campaign. Much more on the breaking news as we continue our special coverage right here in the Situation Room. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Back to the breaking news, the massive $83.3 million defamation verdict against Donald Trump. Let's get some more on the political fallout from the jury's decision. Our team of experts joining us for some important analysis. Scott Jennings, let me start with you. When Trump is such clearly a dominating force in the Republican Party right now and inching closer and closer to the presidential nomination, do you see this decision today changing that course? I don't. I think most of his supporters will look at this case like, uh, you know, like they look at the other things going on in New York. It's a civil trial. It was cooked up at a journalist's house with a bunch of rabid never-Trumpers, and a New York jury did this to him. It's all part of the witch hunt. You know, that, that's how they will see it. I do think there will be some discerning Republican voters out there who say, well, wait a minute, does this guy have good enough lawyers to make it through all the other legal issues he might have for the rest of the year, uh, specifically the January the 6th trial, uh, which, of course, may be coming up sooner rather than later. So I don't see it derailing him. Uh, but certainly there's some people out there tonight questioning, you know, what what the rest of the legal road might look look like having a nominee who's going to go to court with these lawyers who just got nailed in this case. Jamal Simmons is with us as well. Jamal, Trump's clearly still struggling with moderate, more independent voters, especially suburban women. What impact do you think this verdict could have on this crucial voting block that's shown a lot of disdain for Trump's conduct? You know, Wolf, um, Scott Jennings will remember this because he was there. Um, you know, George W. Bush, when he went to war in the Middle East, he assembled the Coalition of the Willing. I think Don, uh, when, when Joe Biden went to uh, campaign against Donald Trump, he assembled the Coalition of the Rational, right? These are people who are independent. They are, I would say, Bush Republicans, many of them. Uh, a lot of them are Democrats. Um, they are people who just don't like the chaos, as Nikki Haley likes to call it. People who... Um, you know, they prefer something that seems a little bit more, more uh, again, more rational in terms of how you lead the presidency, more stable. And I think those people are going to look at this and say, kind of similar to what Scott was saying a minute ago, those people are going to look at this and say, I just don't know if we want to sign up for this again. Now, the thing is, are there enough of those people left in the Republican primary to stop him from getting the nomination? It just doesn't look like it. But when it comes to November and it comes to the fall, I think that uh, uh, President Trump's gonna, former President Trump is going to be in trouble when, jo when uh, Joe Biden and his coalition of the rational get a hold of him. Kristen, as you know, uh, as Trump heads to a, a campaign event tonight, what are you hearing about how this decision today will impact him politically? Well, look, they, they don't think it's going to impact him politically, at least not with his base or at least not with the, the conservatives that are voting in the Republican primary. He has really tried to link 
all of these legal issues together, uh, even though many of them have nothing to do with each other. And he's also tried to link them to Joe Biden. He did that even tonight in the statement. This is a civil defamation case in New York. And he was saying it was done at the hands of President Biden. He's been calling all of his legal issues election interference. And the thing I notice when I'm traveling with him is that people believe it. His supporters believe it. A lot of Republicans believe it, not even just, you know, his rabbit base, uh, that this is somehow a politically motivated thing that is happening to him. Now, the other question here is whether or not he continu can continue to not attack E. Jean Carroll. As we said, it's very striking that he didn't go after her in his post tonight. But Donald Trump, when he is on the stump and surrounded by people who support him, he is often un unfiltered. So whether or not this is just one statement or if it's something that can last, that'll be interesting to watch. Certainly will be. Scott, Nikki Haley uh, has been wrapping up her attacks on Trump in recent days. But when Ardana Bash asked her about the defamation case before today's decision, she was sort of dismissive. How do you see uh, Haley as the only woman in this race handling this development out there on the campaign trail? Well, she's pulled her punches on all of Trump's legal issues. I mean, at one point she said she would pardon Donald Trump if he were convicted in any of the criminal trials. So she's been very careful uh, tiptoeing around these matters. So I'm, I'm not totally surprised that she did today. Again, I think Republicans see the cases in New York, this one and the Alvin Bragg case as, you know, the, the worst possible a place where something could be cooked up against Donald Trump with jury pools that are the least likely to, you know, be sympathetic to Donald Trump. So therefore, Republicans have always dismissed these, I think, more than they have the cases uh, on January 6th uh, and, and the documents, although the documents to a lesser extent. Jamal, President Biden uh, basically has stayed away from Trump's legal controversies. How do you think he should address this important decision today? Well, first of all, when your opponent is sticking themselves in the eye with a fork, you should not get in the way of their hands, right? So just let Donald Trump continue on the path that he's doing because what the jury clearly said to him today was stop talking. Just stop talking. Three-hour deliberation, and they told him to stop and gave him a huge, uh, huge penalty. Um, but I think what you may see are some Democratic allies who, who begin to highlight this as part of the president's, uh, as part of Trump's kind of just bad handling of, of any issues having to do with women from abortion. And now you got this case. And I think all those things wrapped up together are just not going to endear him to the voters he's going to need to hold on to if he's got any chance of trying to win the presidency back. Yeah, uh, we're going to continue our special, special coverage of all of this. Everyone, thank you very much. Stand by. Coming up, more on the $83.3 million verdict against Trump and the message it sends to victims of sexual abuse. Stay with us as our special breaking news coverage here in the Situation Room continues. We're back with our legal experts right now. We're following the breaking news on the $83 million damages verdict against Donald Trump for defaming the writer E. Jean Carroll. Laura Coates, so the jury unanimously decided on this stunning number, $83.3 million to be specific, in just a few hours. What does that reveal to you? Well, the unanimity of it and the close amount of time it took to actually render that verdict tells you that the, that the evidence that was presented was overwhelmingly persuasive to them. Remember, they were not deciding the issue of whether he had committed sexual assault or sexual abuse towards E. Jean Carroll. That was already a factual finding that happened over a year ago. 
what they were deciding now was based on reputational harm, whether the evidence suggested that she had a reputation at one particular level, it was lessened by the statements by Donald Trump, whether the statements in fact led to actual monetary damages. Now she claimed that prior to all this happening, she would receive hundreds of emails responding to her, asking her for advice as a part of her advice column. It dwindled down to just 10, I think a month at one point in time. She talked about the threats that were made to her, death threats and beyond. That was attacked, of course, by Alina Haba, the counsel for Donald Trump, to suggest that not only had she not been um, you know, wronged in some way, but that she'd actually been elevated in the eyes of so many in the community. The jury did not buy that, and they have this number to tell you just how much they believed he was on notice not to defame and did so anyway. Laura, let me follow up with you. Uh, what kind of impact do you think this, this verdict could have for survivors of sexual assault and abuse? Well, this is a really important point that you raise here. Remember, this was a delayed reported sexual assault, delayed by decades, not weeks or months or even a year, but by decades. And there has always been, when you're talking about victims of sexual assault and abuse, unfortunately in our society, we do have a tendency to discredit out of the gate and then try to force somebody to prove their case later. Now, in this instance, it was years and years after, and so the credibility arguments that were already there were already problematic, in addition to the delay of reporting. This tells you that when somebody went forward on this claim that was helped by the fact you could have a limitations period that could um, have told in prior years, but because New York had changed their laws, could still go forward, this is a very powerful statement about how people now view even delayed reporting. But ultimately, it also is a testament to the idea of the power dynamic at play. Can there be any bigger pulpit from one from which one can assert statements or make statements that defame than the bully pulpit of the president of the United States and beyond? And so this is a very powerful moment. I wonder if it will have precedential value going forward for other cases that might come forward for other very powerful figures. Yeah, that's important indeed. Uh, Laura, stand by. We'll get back to you. I want to bring in Nancy Erica Smith, who's represented many survivors of sexual assault. Nancy, Trump's lawyer argued that, uh, that uh, E. Jean Carroll uh, relished the attention that her career flourished after making this allegation. What message is the jury sending with this verdict today? That I think they're sending the message, stop attacking the victim. The victim didn't have to hide out. I mean, Ms. Haba seemed to be arguing that Ms. Carroll was supposed to go hide and not have any presence after being a public figure, uh, somebody people relied on for advice and write, a writer, an important writer for women. So uh, Haba was intimating that she should go hide out. She should be very quiet and sit in a dark room and be silenced. And silencing women is the point of misogynists and sexists who don't want women to fight to live in a safe world where we're believed and where sexual harassers, assaulters, and rapists don't go un unpunished. Kim Whaley's so with us as well. Yeah, go ahead, finish your thought. I just think it's a really important message. It's also disturbing to see Ms. Haba, you know, attack one of the foundations of our democracy, which is the jury system. You know who doesn't have juries? Iran and Egypt and China. It's, ha it's in our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution for a reason. And there are 9 million people in New York, 20 million in New York State. They're highly educated. To say that you can't have a fair trial, he's a New Yorker. Donald Trump is a New Yorker. 
There are 600,000 people in Wyoming. We're Americans here in New York and, and, and we're educated and they listened to the evidence and they made a ruling. And to hear a, a lawyer disparage that and the judge is very disturbing. It's another attack on one of the foundations of our democracy by the Trump crowd. Yeah, I know you're referring to Alina Haba, uh, Trump's lawyer. Uh, Kim Whaley, what impact do you see this decision actually having? Well, it's there are two questions. One is politically, right? Does it have an impact on the lies? Defamation is about lies. It's about making lies that harm people and being held accountable for the lie. And we're having a national conversation now for several years as to whether the big lie is a lie, whether there is such a thing as facts and truth. And uh, I think this is demonstrating that politics are very different from the judicial system. And it also is demonstrating, uh, I think, it's a show of courage here, not just a court courage of E. Jean Carroll, but these jurors, the judges, the judges, law clerks, all these people that are involved in the system of justice to uphold the rule of law through rules of evidence, facts and law based reasoning and how on the political side, our political leaders are not doing the same. They're not having that kind of courage. But I agree with the point that in terms of what we're seeing post Dobbs, really this assault on the, the humanity of women, 65,000 pregnancies since Dobbs uh, caused by rape in, in these states that have uh, very strict abortion laws. And we've got this 80-year-old woman who really is the first to come forward and successfully hold this man accountable as he careens towards the Republican nomination for the next presidential election. Karen Friedman, Agnifilo is still with us as well. Karen, the jury said Trump should pay $65 million specifically as punishment in addition to the emotional and reputational damages. How strong of a deterrent do you think that is? Well, I think it's telling that in his uh, post, his social media post that he did since the verdict where he went after the judge and he went after the court, et cetera, he left out the name E. Jean Carroll and he no longer defamed her despite doing it 22 times the day of opening statements where he continued to do it. And despite saying he's going to do it a thousand times, it's clear that he got the message and he d stopped saying it. So, so far it has worked. Yeah, so far, let's see what happens. All right, ladies, thank you very, very much. We'll have much more on this verdict and Trump's ongoing legal peril. That's coming up. Also coming up, a CNN investigation. Why were civilians in Gaza shot while waving white flags of surrender. Our Clarissa Ward is seeking answers. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. More ahead on the breaking news, a massive $83.3 million verdict against Donald Trump. We're also following other important news, including intensifying efforts to secure the release of hostages in Gaza. CNN's Alex Markward is joining us right now. Alex, I know you're doing a lot of excellent reporting on this. 
Where do these new talks stand right now to try to free these hostages? Well, Wolf, they do appear to be moving forward because now we're seeing these back-to-back trips with the two most senior U.S. officials who are in charge of negotiating uh, a hostage deal as well as a ceasefire. Uh, We know that the CIA director, uh, Bill Burns, is heading to Europe this weekend for meetings with his Egyptian uh, and Israeli counterparts as well as the Qatari prime minister. That comes on the heels of uh, several meetings earlier this week in both Cairo and Qatar by the most senior a White House official who is in charge of the Middle East, Brett McGurk. Earlier today, we heard from the White House saying that McGurk's meetings were a good set of discussions. So Bill Burns will be looking to build on that progress and bridge the gap between the Israeli and Hamas positions. And and, uh, Wolf, that gap is uh, substantial. We do understand what we think the outline of a deal could look like. This is according to sources, that those Israeli hostages who are still in Gaza, there are more than 100 of them, that they would be released in phases. Initially, women, children, and the elderly. Uh, That would be followed by IDF soldiers and the bodies of, of the hostages. But Wolf, Uh, Hamas wants to see this war end, while Israel wants to see a temporary ceasefire and then continue with their efforts to eradicate Hamas. Wolf. Alex Marquardt reporting on this important story. Thank you very much. Also tonight, the United Nations top court is ordering Israel to act immediately to try to prevent acts of genocide in Gaza. But the International Court of Justice stopped short of calling for an end to the fighting. This is a preliminary ruling on South Africa's accusations of genocide by Israel, a case the court refused to throw out. A final decision could take months or even years. The court also urged the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza. Let's bring in CNN's chief international correspondent, Clarissa Ward. She's in Jerusalem for us. Clarissa, CNN has been investigating the Israeli military's actions in Gaza. You're getting new information. What are you learning? That's right, Wolf. We've been looking at a growing number of videos that show unarmed civilians holding white flags being shot dead inside Gaza. We started out looking at a particularly disturbing video, and I want to warn our viewers it is graphic, of a 57-year-old grandmother, Hala Hreis, who was captured on a cell phone video leading a crowd of about 30 people. They are waving white flags. They are leaving, evacuating their neighborhood in Al-Ramal in Gaza City on November 12th. She is leading the group, holding the hand of her five-year-old grandson, Tayyim. You hear a shot. Hala drops to the ground. Uh, She died very soon afterwards. We were able to establish that were Israeli forces to the south and to the west of her position. And we spent some time talking to family members who were among that group. Take a listen to part of our report. The month before October 7th had been the happiest of times for the family, celebrating Sarah's engagement and Mohammed's graduation from university. My mother was going to be 58 years old on December 30th and had her grandson with her, so why would you shoot her? What's between you and her? You made us feel like it's safe to leave. We had white flags on our hands, so what happened? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It is a question many are asking as more videos have emerged of unarmed civilians displaying white flags apparently shot dead. 
We analyze four cases. The most widely reported wolf is that of the Israeli hostages who the IDF admitted killing. We flew here to Israel to try to sit down with the IDF to present our footage, present our findings on or off camera. They declined to meet with us, but they did provide us, Wolf, some hours after our report was first published with this statement. They said, quote, CNN refused to provide the footage in question prior to the broadcasting of the article, as the IDF requested to receive in order to thoroughly examine the incident and provide any sort of comprehensive response. CNN's hesitancy to share the materials discloses the partial nature of their report, doing a disservice to the complex nature of the operational reality on the ground. The incident is being examined. Well, if they don't say exactly which of the incidents that we talk about in this investigation is being examined, and I do want to reiterate that we said again and again to the IDF that we were willing anytime, day or night, to come present our footage, present our findings well before publication to give them a chance to explain what's been going on, Wolf. Clarissa Ward, excellent reporting. Thank you very much, Clarissa, reporting from Jerusalem. And we'll be right back with more breaking news. Today's $83 million defamation verdict against Donald Trump is just one of several civil and criminal cases involving the former president as he's running for a second term in the White House. CNN's Brian Todd is joining us right now with a closer look at those other legal problems. Brian, update us. Well, they're far from overwolf, and in fact, some of the more serious cases, the criminal trials involving the former president, are slated to get underway this year as Donald Trump presses on with his presidential campaign. From today's verdict in the E. Jean Carroll case, with a jury ordering Donald Trump to pay more than $83 million in damages to Carroll, to the Stormy Daniels hush money case, to the Mar-a-Lago documents probe, to the election interference case in Georgia and the federal January 6th inquiry, Donald Trump has been entangled in a web of investigations targeting him from many directions. It's pretty remarkable that you have multiple different states, the federal government, all investigating the same person at once, but that person is the former president of the United States. In addition to the Carroll civil verdict, Trump now faces 91 felony counts in two state courts and two federal districts. There's the indictment in the Daniels case in New York, where Trump faces several counts related to business fraud. In Washington, special counsel Jack Smith has charged Trump with four felonies in a federal case in connection with his attempts to stay in power after the 2020 election. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. There's the Justice Department's Mar-a-Lago case, charging Trump with illegally mishandling classified documents when he brought them to his Florida estate after leaving the White House. And in Georgia, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis has brought a huge racketeering case against Trump and 18 other people, alleging a conspiracy to steal the 2020 election. There's also a civil lawsuit in New York filed against Trump and his adult sons, alleging that they fraudulently distorted the values of their properties. Which case against Trump is the strongest? Analysts have gone back and forth, but some point to Georgia as a decent possibility for conviction. Even if he didn't have a direct hand in some of the efforts, that he was part of the planning, that he directed these efforts. And so that's why, in a lot of ways, it is the most serious, because when it comes to the election, it's the one with, with the most teeth. Donald Trump has repeatedly rejected the accusations in each of these cases, characterizing them as facets of a witch hunt designed to take him down. Just tonight, he called the E. Jean Carroll verdict, quote, absolutely ridiculous, and said he'll appeal. Wolf. Brian Todd, thanks for that report. Just ahead, my exclusive interview with Vice President Kamala Harris's husband, 
Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff, including our conversation on the very deeply personal issue of remembering the Holocaust. Tomorrow is International Holocaust Remembrance Day, honoring the six million Jews and millions of others murdered by the Nazis. President Biden issued a statement which says in part, and I'm quoting him, this year the charge to remember the Holocaust, the evil of the Nazis, and the scourge of anti-Semitism is more pressing than ever. I spoke exclusively with Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff about what the day means to him. Listen. We're sitting down as the world is getting ready to mark International Holocaust Remembrance Day in the wake of the horrific October 7th uh, assault on Israel, the deadliest day for Jews, as you and I well know, since the Holocaust. Why is it especially important to commemorate this day this year? Wolf, um, that was a genocide, what happened uh, in the Holocaust. Uh, as they say, we can never forget. I was uh, there at Auschwitz last year uh, at International Holocaust Remembrance Day and that this past year uh, I've been so profoundly affected by that experience, what I saw. Um, it's, it's never left me and in fact it's informed the work that I have done with the administration uh, on fighting anti-Semitism, hate of all forms, uh, which was very prevalent prior to October 7th. And of course, since October 7th, we've seen literally a crisis of anti-Semitism that has erupted here in the United States, but in fact, all around the world. So it's really important uh, as this date is, is coming up uh, to commemorate the horrors of, of millions, six million Jews uh, slaughtered. So important indeed. And to our viewers, thanks very much for watching. Aaron Burnett out front starts right now. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.